This show is part of the Head Stuff Podcast Network. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to I Know That Face, the only podcast John is the often unappreciated by the masses of work of character actors. I'm Stephen Portsy. My name's Andrew Carroll. Today we are back after our little summer break talking about the hilarious, if often scary, Northern Irish actor uh, Michael Smiley. Andrew, run down his history. Michael Smiley was born in Belfast in 1963 and moved to London in 1983, saw him take various jobs as a stand-up comedian, bicycle courier and acid house DJ. He shared a flat with both Simon Pegg and Nick Frost in the 1990s and his first big break was as the rave-obsessed bicycle courier Tyres O'Flaherty in the TV sitcom Space alongside his flatmates. <laughs> Much of his early work consisted of guest spots or bit parts on TV or in film. His first big supporting role in film was as Mac in the Nazi zombie film Outpost. Following on from that, he has appeared consistently in thrillers directed by Ben Wheatley, such as Down Terrace, Kill List, A Field in England, and Free Fire. He has stuck mostly to lower-budget British and Irish films, apart from small roles in Black Sea, Rogue One, A Star Wars Story, and The Nun. He has had greater success in TV on the likes of Doctor Who, Luther, The Aliens, and most recently, Dead Still. He's due to appear in the British Thatcherite Horror Censor and in the action film Gunpowder Milkshake later this year. I'm actually hyped for both those movies. They both look really good. Um, <laughs> yeah, I chose Smiley um, for multiple reasons. I can't think of any actors whose presence just changes the tempo of a movie. Like He can inject so much energy into a film just by his delivery of dialogue and his voice and his look. And uh, I think three of the movies I watched for this, um, Down Terrace, A Field in England and Come to Daddy, sort of hold off on introducing Smiley at the beginning with his arrival being the moment where, you know, shit gets real and stakes ratchet up a notch. And I hinted at it in uh, my intro, but like he's very capable of being charming and funny, you know, and as you mentioned, like on top of being an actor, he was a comedian. And he can also be quite tender. However, he can then just suddenly turn like very angry and scary in just a second in a way that feels uh, natural. And also another reason I wanted to cover him was because Ben Wheatley had a new film out, um, In the Earth, which Smiley was not in. But that movie um, mm. got me thinking about the Ben Wheatley, you know, collaborations he made with Smiley. Well, as you mentioned, the you know, Down Terrorist, Kill List, The Field England, yeah. and Free Fire. All, all and, his best films. Exactly. And they were probably my first introductions into sort of a, a less mainstream but still like entertaining cinema you know like they all have this very distinct vibe and they all center on characters you don't normally see on screen you know they play with genres in unique ways there's a bit more of an emphasis on atmosphere over plot so uh, so i wanted to revisit them for this and you know like your wheatley is sort of the the scorsese to smiley's de niro you know but what about you any <laughs> any any thoughts on smiley I just think that he's got some of the best kind of line delivery in the business like i'll i'll save I'll save them for for later, but there's he has he gets some real gold in outpost, which is like such a it's what my friend Owen um, who you met describes as like a proper British aura, you know, <laughs> one of those kind of things like dog soldiers or something like that. And for a movie as kind of shitty as it is uh, to have those kind of lines <laughs> is great, but having Smiley deliver those lines it makes all the kind of like Nazi zombie bullshit worth it. Yeah. Do you want to start with? Outpost, considering it was one of his first major roles. Yeah, sure. By early 1945, the party was over. The war was essentially lost, and the German military machine was falling apart. All the files show that the SS sent in a unit to shut this place down. And as far as I can see, nobody walked out alive. So does your instruction manual say what the fuck these things want? Want? They don't want anything. They just do what they were trained to do. They kill. Those bodies we found. Those are their bodies. That might explain why they stayed with the machine. 
Any consciousness that remains might believe that their only chance to live again is through it. Guys, yeah, that are just the last poor fuckers to walk through this boneyard. I quite like that franchise of movies in in the sort of way that you're describing as sort of um you know dunk soldiers, but instead of werewolves, it's Nazi zombies, and they're just very watchable. Yeah. Uh, so. Michael Smalley plays Mac, a former British paratrooper turned mercenary. He was part of a six-man team hired by DC, played by another Northern Irish character actor, legend Ray Stevenson, um, to find a bunker that, unknown to them, is full of undead Nazis. And they're all—they're operating. These mercenaries are operating at the behest of a man called Hunt, who's played by Julian Wadham. I suppose just on on Smiley, it's ironic in a way, just having him play, having this Northern Irish Catholic man play a member of the British Parachute Regiment, considering you know the whole Bloody Sunday business back in the seventies. Uh, and in fairness, he does play Mac as a complete prick, um, which so it makes sense. And yeah, it is one of these one of many kind of dull grey, dull like grey blue British horrors made on the cheap in like the mid to late two thousands after like Twenty Eight Days Later and Dog Soldiers and like The Descent were so successful. And uh, you know it's it, it has sort of petered out, and it's kind of coming back now uh, in a different way with like kind of more, uh, I guess, literary stuff or elevated horror if you want to use that term with the likes of uh, you know like Saint Maud or um, I suppose Censor as well, which Michael mm-hmm. Smiley is in. So it's, it also shows how fluid he can be and that he can just transition from like uh, shit like Outpost to um, something that's as well regarded uh, or seems to be as well regarded at the moment as Censor. Uh, uh, considering the early reviews and stuff like that, uh, and Kill List as well, which kind of shows like how proper British horrors were like in the transitionary phase phase in 2011. I think Outpost came along at like a bad time, considering it was just one of many, many, many movies, video games, comics, books, whatever, uh, desperate to like resurrect the kind of zombie horror subgenre, and the only true success as a franchise was. Um, Call of Duty and Nazi Zombies. And I think Ben Wheatley must have seen... I presume Ben Wheatley has seen Spaced. Um, but I think he definitely saw this and thought, well, oh, I can use this guy to say insults that you wouldn't snap at your worst enemy. <laughs> and like he has he has a, a few good lines in this where he's like... Um, there's a Russian character named Tak. I forget who plays him. But uh, when they come up upon the bunker that uh, contains the aforementioned Nazi Zombies... Um, Tack says, ooh, it's underground. And Michael Smiley goes, you'd be smart if you weren't so fucking stupid, you know that? <laughs> and, um, and then they find that, like, uh, this guy they assume to be, like, a victim of ethnic cleansing, not knowing that he's, like, the, the, the Nazi zombie in question. And Michael Smiley starts uh, battering him because he was shot up above in the arm and he's uh, understandably angry. And... Um, the hunt, the fellow that hired them, goes, how does beating him up help? And somebody's just goes, it made me feel better. <laughs> and then, uh, like, when they're trying to come up with a plan, um, uh, Hunt is, like, explaining to them uh, why things are going as crazy as they are, um, and he finishes his uh, explanation, Michael Smiley just goes, you know, for a smart man, you don't see much of anything useful, do you? <laughs> and it's kind of, like, stuff like that that would, like, um, really, um, you can really see why... Ben Wheatley would want him to to, uh, to say like all of the insane stuff that he comes up with for his characters to say in the likes, especially in the likes of Free Fire or um, A Field in England. I, mean, I haven't seen Down Terrace, but uh, uh, I assume he gets at least he, one good singer in there. Oh yeah, he gets quite a few. <laughs> There's actually this amazing um, video on YouTube that Film Four put up where it, they made a compilation in preparation for Free Fire of like the best Michael Smiley quotes, and it's just it's like a minute thirty of just 
those zingers. Like <laughs> the bit in a field in England where he's like, I'll turn you into a frog. <laughs> it's the best. So do you want to move on to the, the weekly collabs? Um, yeah. You mentioned I watched uh, Down Terrace for this, which I, I think I'm going to talk about a lot about because it's a, it's a great distillation of, kind of Smiley skills. It was Benway's debut film, which he made in um, eight days for $30,000. Boys, Eric. Hi, Carlos. Your answers. Right, oh. What's the point of you being on the inside when you don't help us out, Dave? Well, I'm only a counsellor, Bill. So have you any idea where all this has come from? The police have got this document. I told you, it's like a family tree. What brings you all the way down from London, John? General vibe of uh, confusion and carnage coming from your end. Set almost entirely in a family home, it uh, tells the tale of a father named Bill and his son Carl, and they're played by a real-life father and son. Um, the actors are Robert and Robin Hill, and Robin Hill also co-wrote the film. Um, and these, this father and son operate a criminal organisation in Brighton, and Carl has just been acquitted of a crime, but he doesn't know how the police were able to you, you know, get him and how it, you know, it escalated this far, and Bill is determined that there's a rat amongst them. Meanwhile, Carl's ex-girlfriend shows a pregnant on his family's doorstep with her arrival, leading to conflict in the family. And uh, yeah, it's a very good movie, both as a con card for Wheatley, showing what he could do with a limited budget, but also just as a, a grouping thriller. You know, what struck me about it, um, when I watched it for the first time when I was younger, and I, I should say I wrote about Down Terrace on um, Headstuff, uh, which people should check out, I'll include in the show notes. But it was a real like departure from your typical, you know, Brit gangster flick of that era or of the last 20 years, like your, your type of flashy, geezery, bit style over substance. Guy Ritchie, Rise of the Foot Soldier, kind of Danny Dyer starring movies. Because <laughs> Wheatley is this sort of master of mixing genres and like Dan Terrace is shot in this very unfussy sort of social realist Ken Loach-esque kind of way, which I think really works in the movie, which is trying to de-glamorize its criminal characters. You know, Wheatley and co-writer Robin Hill really go to great lengths to showcase, you know, this central family's being like really dysfunctional and horrible um, to be around like they're constantly just murdering people they're close to on the vague suspicion they might be rats and on top of that they're just like awful to each other they're constantly either just you know doing those kind of cruel barbs at each other or you know manipulating one another or lying to each other or talking seemingly very sincerely to someone to their face and then like the minute that person leaves they just like shit talk them and <laughs> There's a bit of horror in Down Terrace too, because you, you sort of feel Carl starting to grow kind of increasingly edgy and volatile out of like the paranoia and just by being in the Stifen family. The, and the movie's very funny, but it's a sort of comedy of menace in the vein of something like Harold Pinter, where the laughs are just very uncomfortable. And a lot of that, I think, is down to Smiley's character, Pringle. So Pringle, <laughs> Pringle's this hitman who volunteers his services to Bill. And he essentially only has three big scenes, but he easily just walks away with the movie. I think it's the best use of Smiley in a Wheatley movie because, you know, Smiley has that, like, thick northern Irish accent, which I think can sound so jovial and musical when he's playing characters who are happy or are just chatting with their mate casually, but can also sound so intimidating and startling when he's serious or angry. And he's just very expressive in that way. And I think he also is, like... An actor uses a lot of body movement too, and he's got this face that can play both nice guys, but can also be contorted into playing sort of more like menacing figures. And I just think that dichotomy of those two sides of Smiley are just constantly at play with Pringle because on one level he's this like professional killer who is literally like, "Give me a chance to murder for you," and uh, he learned his skills as a soldier fighting in Bosnia, and he says he only went over to Bosnia for a holiday and ended up joining the war. And he's like, "Cheap beer." 
<laughs> it's the only reason he gives. And um, he just seems like just very immoral and like fine with what he does. But then there's also this sweeter side to him because he has this three-year-old son who he has with his ex. And he, you know, he's constantly bringing him everywhere with him. Uh, even when he meets Bill and Carl to like offer his you know skills as a killer. And the whole scene, that whole scene is just him like falling over his son and being like a nice dad, but then like suddenly turning very threatening. Like this is amazing bit where he's talking about how he's already training his son to defend himself and that one day uh, his kid attacked another child with a xylophone in play school. And what he's describing is kind of disturbing and, 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 and kind of plays into the movies, I think, critique of kind of toxic fathers and that like the kid is three, like he doesn't need to know how to jab his fingers into someone's neck, which is what Pringle taught him. But Pringle describes it with such pride and energy and he's like acting it out and his enthusiasm is really infectious and you can kind of feel the love he has for his son. But then Carl is playing with his kid as he's telling the story and he's like, man, he looks just like you. And he's like, why fucking wouldn't he? Like he just immediately like drops. <laughs> <laughs> out of the funny story later you know Carl is distracting the kid while Bill and Pringle kind of talk seriously about business and he starts like blowing raspberries you know with the kid like going like you know like doing like funny noises then Pringle just turns to him and says intensely less of that will you I don't mind the cuddling but none of the kissing and farting noises right <laughs> like he's and um <laughs> Later on in the movie, Bill takes up Pringle on his offer, hiring him to kind of interrogate one of um, his underlings in order to discover whether he or not he was talking to the police. It's really funny because like Pringle brings his son again because he couldn't find a sitter. The the underling just sees Pringle panics and then runs upstairs and locks himself behind the door. And Pringle, Bill, and Carl are just squabbling outside the door. And one of them says to Pringle, "Like bring in your kid. Like this is amateur hour." And he's like, "I couldn't find anyone to mind him." You're like my missus, yap, yap, yap. And then and it's, re- and it's, re- it's really tense. And Bill says in passing, like, Car- oh, Carl's having a baby. And he's like, oh, really? Congratulations. And like immediately he's very like happy and like, you know, overjoyed. And he, he turns to Carl and is like, hug it up, bitch. <laughs> Comes in and like gives him a hug. <laughs> and um, they have a nice moment. Like every line in detail in the scene is hilarious. And yeah, just somebody's so alive and so live wire as this character. You, you don't know whether he's going to like hug you or stab you which is a big part of why the film feels like a comedy of menace. And you also actively miss him when he's not in the movie. And a lot of actors from Dan Terrace show up in Kill List. Um, but while well, you can tell mm. that Wheatley obviously likes working with, you know, the same people over and over again and like his friends, like he must've seen just how fire Smiley was as this hitman character that he wrote this expanded sort of, you know, co-lead essentially, you know, part for him as an, uh, yeah. another, another assassin in Kill List. So do you want to talk to them, move on to Kill List? I just wanted to say thank you to Justin. His teachings have helped me put everything in perspective. I haven't had an anxiety attack in three weeks. Don't listen to that. It's like a fucking worm boring through my skull. It's like a graveyard. And they're still fucking plot up next to us. I thought you could intersect with the group. Because when I saw you having trouble rationalising your emotional response to Duncan's departure. Can't wait to see him rationalise your emotional response. Oh. <laughs> thank you. I'm going to kill him, girl. Don't kill him, bit. I am. I'm going to massacre that table of people now. <laughs> in a hotel. And I ain't going to shoot them, girl. I'm going to do them one at a time, and I'm doing them slow. With a butter knife? Yeah. We should have a song. We should have a song. Oh, nice song. Um, okay, shall I get the old yeah, guitar? Oh, fuck, here we go. You're expecting Jeremy Beadle, aren't you? <laughs> but he's dead. He can't help you. He's not going to play that guitar when he was in. 
Michael Smiley plays Gal, a former soldier turned contract killer who, alongside his friend and partner Jay, played by Neil Maskell, take on a, takes on a lucrative contract that sends the unstable Jay into a tailspin as his disturbed past catches up with him. Yeah, so the movie is mostly uh, is from Jay's perspective all the way through, who is, uh, England is in the guts of a recession and um, he's... Uh, running out of money to support his family, and he, but he's also psychologically scarred by his last, psychologically and physically scarred by his last job uh, in Kiev, and he's unwilling to uh, do more contract work because he's afraid of the harm it'll do him. Uh, and he's right all along. But um, it's like this movie that like moves from like domestic drama at the start to hitman thriller to torture porn to folk horror, and it's all tinged with this like economic anxiety and eventually like supernatural unease. And like it says it, it kind of says it all. Where the ghost woman, or who's called Fiona in the film, who's like this really unsettling kind of always dressed in white woman who shows up at the dinner party one day or at their house uh, another time, and uh, Jay sees her from the window of his hotel room just staring up at him. Like there's a point where they, she's at a party in their house and she just carves a symbol on the back of their mirror. Terrifying. But here's here's the thing: she works in HR, which says it all. <laughs> Um, and I think it's like a it's a film like whose tone changes on a dime and I think that it, that feels natural because of the whole because of it's like genre soup nature rather than in spite of it um, I do think that the film is a bit too focused on Jay and his kind of uh, pain it's kind of hard to get a read on Gal who's just kind of there like we never really like we obviously we get the sense to, that to Gal it's just a job uh, but to Jay, it becomes more and more like this is the morally right thing to do, uh, which is kind of what makes him uh, vulnerable to like the infection he gets from the um, the cut that they signed the contract with, and uh, all this eventually becomes like some kind of mental infection, where he becomes more and more insane as the film goes on. Yeah, I just wish I I do wish that there was a bit more on Michael Smiley's character because apparently like the cat, the actors developed their own backstories about the character. And uh, I think they were that was included as part of the uh, filming process. But I think uh, in the editing room, Ben Wheatley kind of decided to make it a bit more ambiguous, I guess, uh, uh, in in the way in the way that it's edited. He doesn't really have that many great lines in either, either. But there is one bit where he's they they go to sign the contract, and then uh, you know the horrible palm slitting thing thing happens, and um, as they're leaving, Gal just goes. Nobody ever says please or thank you. That's what really fucks me off. Yeah. He has a good line about the um, soap as well, where he's like, uh, when they, they go into the hotel to, as they're, where they're scoping out mm. the, you know, for their, their hits. And he's like, is there new soap? Yeah. Is it a rapper? And he's like, yeah, yeah. And he's like, <laughs> fucking hate dirty soap. <laughs> yeah. And I think by the time, like the movie is about their, their contract is they have to kill a priest, a librarian and an MP. And like the priest goes on, you know, goes over fine, you know, they uh, do it very professionally. Um, but the librarian is actually like a smut peddler, like a really nasty stuff, like snuff films and stuff like that. And so Jay brutally beats him to death with a hammer. And uh, I think it's, it's at that point that Gal realises that Jay, that, that Jay he once knew is a man who's kind of been warped and changed by internal and external pressures. And he's kind of like, oh, this could go really badly. And it does. Just a really nasty kick in the nuts kind of a film. Yeah, it's one of my favourite horrors of the last couple of years. Um, I do get what you mean about Smiley's character sort of being a little bit in the background and you do want a bit more of it. But sometimes I think that ambiguity about their past 
and about the cult itself actually makes the movie more scary because like everything is so vague and it's so paranoid that you never really know like could Gal be in on it you know like I, I do think there's, there's yeah, something that yeah. comes from the tension of that but I just remember white knuckling it through the last 15 minutes when I saw it as a teenager I saw it a bit maybe it was a bit young I saw it like when I was like 16 or 17 that's a pretty full on movie um, yeah I was the same I saw, I saw I watched it again for the first time in 10 years there a couple of couple of days ago and I was like I'm still too young to watch this movie yeah exactly what makes it a bit of a breath of fresh air is that like something I've noticed in a lot of horror movies recently is that uh, and it's probably been around forever but the fantastical elements of horror movies are often like a metaphor for human experiences you know like in Hereditary it's like family trauma and Midsummer, it's you know toxic relationships you know Babadook postpartum depression and what I, I like to love all those movies and I think that method of using horror to symbolize human struggles is really important part of the genre and is just good storytelling really but sometimes i think the link between those two things you know the human and the the horror can sometimes be a bit overly explicit and heavy-handed mm. and once in a while it's nice to watch something like kill list or even you talked about energy's badge day episode the empty man which i think yeah. kill list shares a lot of dna with which obviously have ideas in their head but are kind of vague about what they mean and just leave it up to viewers interpretation like you can make an argument kill list is you know about the fallout of like the iraq war you know these two soldiers yeah. who you know bring that violence back home and like down terrace also has those references to iraq and then you could also it's about like the hopelessness of like the recession and how you're kind of feeling like you have no control over your life and that you're sort of just um at the whims of kind of forces beyond your control but like we never like spells anything out too explicitly which um i think makes it more terrifying and mysterious and intriguing but sort of also dares you to kind of revisit it and try and parse meaning from its kind of chaos what I appreciate about the improvisation that you know Wheatley and like did with his co-actors and like that collaborative process is that, you know, we never know like how Jay and Gal met. We don't really know exactly what happened in Kiev, but we sort of don't need to know because we just get how they are with each other just in terms of their like interactions. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like, and that they have this sort of like massive intense bond, and you know, you get the impression immediately that they're just these you know two very damaged men who sort of use humor as a coping mechanism you know a lot of their banter is them laughing about kind of morbid things and it's also a couple of times in the movie where they start fighting and it looks like they're really going at each other but then they just start sort of laughing yeah. off which also sort of shows that this intimate and very like intense relationship and have these weird ways of coping with their emotions and you get the sense that jay is the more you know serious and brooding and less able to cope with um his normal life outside of his career where Smiley's gal seems a little bit more able to separate those two elements, you know, like just the detail yeah. that, he, that he met Fiona um, at boxer size, like <laughs> that feels like a <laughs> uh, a smiley improv line. There's also that other bit that's really interesting about his character, where um, Jay says maybe the priest that they're going to kill is a pedophile, and that it might make up for the bad things that they've done. And Gal's like, I've hardly done any bad things, and which is probably untrue, but like I believe he believes it. Like the movie's filled with kind of like I don't know, good details like that that don't really explain a whole lot, but sort of give viewers a feeling that oh, there's something deeper here. And uh, I think yeah, again, Smiley goes from doing that thing where he can go from being quite tender to being very imposing. Like he's a total gentleman to Jay's wife, Shell. It's actually a quite heartfelt scene where he goes into Jay's kid's bedroom to try and comfort him when his parents are fighting. You know, he's also quite funny. Yeah. Yeah, you really like him, but it adds that tension because, like, the movie forces you as it goes on to reckon with how you can like these people who murder people. Also, I think that transition from, you know, Smiley being the, the, the cooler, more chill of the two to generally being concerned and freaked out as the movie gets weirder. Like, how obviously uncomfortable he is about, you know, killing a priest. You know, and there's that moment where the priest, right before he shot in the head, smiles and says, thank you. 
And Spy's character is like, why did he have that smile on his face? And I think all that sort of is creepy and well played. And, you know, obviously while the movie is very heightened, his reaction always feels a bit authentic. Yeah. 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 I'm a huge fan of Killers. Yeah, I really liked it when I first saw it. Um, I think I liked it less this time around. I think I was a bit the same too. Yeah, yeah, I I was a bit the same. I think think maybe I was just a a bit more kind of... um, maybe a little more edgier edgier when I was a teenager. I was like, oh yeah, I want to watch Kill List, I want to watch Cannibal Holocaust and all this other horrible shit. Um, in fairness, Cannibal Holocaust is bad, whereas um, Kill List is quite good. But seeing it again, I was like, oof, don't know how I feel about this. <laughs> Get you. As you heard in the intro, this show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network, Ireland's largest network of independent podcasts. There's plenty of other great shows to check out on the network. Here's a taster of one. Fad Camp is a comedy podcast about the ridiculousness of fad diets and diet culture, hosted by me, Grace Mulvey, and me, Connor Dowling. If you have a body of any kind, chances are you've crossed paths with at least one of the bizarre diet trends we cover in our show. And between me and Connor, we have done nearly every fad diet there is. Juice cleansing. Fasting. The potato diet. Which is actually a real diet, by the way, and we don't recommend it. So join us as we try to make sense of the madness that is diet culture. Find Fad Camp everywhere you get your podcasts and make sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Fad Camp Podcast. I know that Face are also delighted to finally get to tell listeners about Headstuff Plus. Headstuff Plus is the one-stop shop for everything on the Headstuff Podcast Network, Ireland's largest podcast network and the one to which I Know That Face belongs. If you're a fan of I Know That Face or any other shows on the network, become a member of Headstuff Plus and get bonus episodes of Headstuff shows, other exclusive content, merchandise, early access to live events and lots more. We here at I Know The Face have already recorded a handful of bonus episodes where myself and Andrew talk about more current news and releases in the world of film and TV. But also in the future, we have plans for more actor-themed series as well, along with releasing episode outtakes, accompanying articles, etc. All for Headstuff Plus subscribers. To sign up to Headstuff Plus, it's just €5 plus fat per month. When you sign up, no matter what show or shows you are supporting, you still get access to everything. All the bonus material for all the podcasts on the network. A lot of great podcasts. Plus, by doing so, you'll be supporting I Know The Face to bring you more top material. For all the details and to sign up, visit headstuffpodcasts.com. And now, back to the show. Well, do you want to move on to then a field in England? Sure. Do not concern yourself with bravery and I might head. It is official. You are my prisoner. I think I have worked out what God is punishing us for. <laughs> Everything. Michael Smiley plays O'Neill, an alchemist who forces a group of deserters during the English Civil War into searching for a mysterious treasure in the English countryside. And uh, the main main deserter is a, a fellow alchemist's apprentice. I think they're both apprenticed to the same alchemist. Whitehead is the other apprentice. He's played by Reese Shearsmith, who people will know from like a League of Gen, a League of Gentlemen. And um, Michael Smiley's O'Neill is this very like brash, confident, more capable and definitely more evil of the two. Uh, uh, like As you said, he threatens to turn. I think it's um, the character Jacob, who's played by Peter Ferdinando, uh, he threatens to turn him into a frog at one point. Whereas Whitehead is... Well, first of all, he's named after like a really ugly-looking spot that you get in your face. Um, <laughs> And like he, he's he, he's like shorter than everyone else. 
he's uh, quite quite generally pathetic. He's always on about he's like just he's always talking. He's like the nerd of the group. He's always talking about like astrology, and he's always praying. And everyone is always like everyone in this movie just wants to go to the pub. They've yeah, they just O'Neill, want pints. Who wants? Yeah, O'Neill wants treasure, uh, and everyone else just wants to go to the pub. That's the reason they've deserted the army. They are fuck this. I don't want to die. I'm going to the pub. And uh, you know what? I've I've left places um, with uh, for for that reason too. Um, and like Whitehead is always going on these long-winded monologues about like the stars, astrology, his work, um, like medicine stuff like that. And they're all really long-winded and rambling. And they're often like instantly disregarded or just summed up in a sentence by his irritated companions. Like he's on about like how he failed at his job at the job his master gave him and he's talking really really long it's long winded spiel and then um, the character friend who's played by Richard Glover goes what does it mean and uh, I think it's Jacob that says it means that when his master gives him another job he won't fuck it up yeah <laughs> um, and like at the like he explains his job to friend who's this really s- stupid guy he's thick as bricks and uh, friend just goes hmm, sounds badly paid <laughs> that's the best bit of the movie O'Neill is introduced like just passed out on the ground when all the after, ta- after like eating magic mushrooms in like a stew they're for some reason they're pulling on a post like this elaborately carved um, steak driven into the ground and they're they're all pulling on this post for reasons I'm not quite sure of but like he's he's introduced lying passed out on the ground and once he's woken up he just starts to pre- he just proceeds to kick the shit out of Jacob um, like everyone's standing away from him and he's there like booting this man in the ribs um, and once he's fully dressed in like the like witch, witch finder general gear like the big Amazing. hat yeah, big yeah. hat the cloak all the buckles uh, he just he just looks like Governor Ratcliffe from um, Pocahontas and um, and this is a bit I think it's um, Friend again that says uh, it does not surprise me that the devil is an Irishman though I expected him taller <laughs> and I think I think O'Neill asks him, "How is it an idiot like you survive so long?" He's like, "My commander said I have fresh air between my ears. Fresh air is good for one's constitution, is it not?" <laughs> and I think like the movie is. I think the movie is more about, as from what I compare, anyways, how, like, how Whitehead goes from like pathetic little apprentice into like action hero by the end. And like at the start of the movie, he's basically like O'Neill's unwilling Renfield. Uh, he's the unwilling Renfield Tony was Dracula whereas the, at the end of the movie he's more like Jonathan Harker or something like that what I will say about this movie and even though I'm kind of like like I know a lot of people love it but I think uh, I think I like it more for its style like its style as dialogue and the violence and whatever um, more than I, way more than I do for its story because I, as I've said I have no clue what's really going on um, after they take the mushrooms which I guess is which I guess makes sense, uh, but uh, much like in the Earth or something like that, it's like oh, it's a once fungus comes into a Ben Wheatley movie, you may as well just stop following the plot. Um, and I, but I think if it wasn't for people like Ben Wheatley, a lot of the a lot of these very capable actors would be stuck in like football factory rip offs or dour Yorkshire Ken Loach dramas and stuff like Emmerdale. So. We should be glad that at least he's he's out there making all these incredibly creative, if unclear, movies. Yeah, true. Like I, I really enjoyed this movie because there's just nothing out there like it. Like a, a black and white psychological horror comedy set entirely in a normal field, and you never have any clue where it's going. Yeah. 
Um, I really like Amy Jump's script because we should say like Amy Jump is uh, Ben Lee's wife and she co-writes a lot of his scripts mm. but she has a solo writing credit on this one and the dialogue sounds like so authentic to the period it has this very flowery language you know filled with metaphors but is often undercut with this sort of crass or toilet humor you know yeah I do think it's a bit harder to love than <laughs> sorry I'm just <laughs> I'm just thinking of um, I think it's uh, what character I think it's Jacob again who's like taking a shit <laughs> friend pops up and is like is it a boy or a girl <laughs> yeah because he's like grunting yeah <laughs> sorry um, yeah, sorry continue he's like <laughs> <laughs> but um I do think it's a bit harder to love than uh, Down Terrace or Killis because it does keep viewers at a distance a bit more. Like, um, yeah, very much so. Yeah, because of the period setting and because, you know, Reese Shearsmith, who I think is really funny, is the character of Whitehead, but he's just so weak and submissive. You're just shouting like, come on, man, stand up for yourself, yeah. you worm. You know? <laughs> and a lot of Tower is very suggestive. Like, there's that scene with the rope that you mentioned or the scene where Smy's character O'Neill tortures Whitehead into complying in the tent. And we don't see yeah. that. We just hear Whitehead screams, which is really creepy on its own, but just doesn't have quite the same like viscerality of Kill List. Also, a lot of the stuff in the movie about alchemy is talked about rather than shown. I think while you enjoy a feeling as an experience, when it's really unique, it, it doesn't make much linear sense, so, so it's a bit harder to kind of wrap your arms around. But um, I think when Smiley is on screen, I'm as close to loving it as possible because like the first three minutes are just like Blackadder or something. Like It's just all these different people trying to escape the war to get points. And it's kind of like a hangout comedy. But then like Smiley's arrival turns into something a lot stranger and cosmic. And yeah, he's playing this Irishman who probably being seen as is less than due to his nationality. He, you know, steals a bunch of these alchemy writings and material from Whitehead's master and goes on the run to make his fortune. And yeah. You know, as an Irishman, you, you kind of want to give him a pass for his sins, you know, to climb yeah. up the ladder. Like O'Neill describing using alchemy for his own gain says, like, "'Tis only fair that I take something in return for my countrymen's troubles." Mm. Um, it's a great line. A lot of the flowery dialogue sounds so good coming out of Spidey's like musical voice. Yeah. But um, it's hard to give him a pass though because he's just so cruel and mean. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like the best thing I can say about him is what Peter Ferdinando's character says about him in the movie is that he dresses really well. <laughs> but, yeah. Like, I love the look, the cape, the goatee, like the vintage hat, the long hair. But I don't. Smiley's played a lot of other dark characters in films, but none quite like this. Where he's very still here. Like he doesn't say a lot, but everything he does is so laser precise. Like he knows he doesn't have to be repeated. And he constantly has this like steely eyed stare and he treats all the other characters with such disdain. There's a bit where Ferdinando's character is like to O'Neill, friend, would you mind if I get some sleep or I'm sick? Yeah. And yeah. and like it's the most like casual thing in the world. O'Neill just hits him in the face with a shovel and says, Do not <laughs> do not address me as friend, otherwise I'll turn you into a frog. And then spits on him like he didn't need to do that. <laughs> <laughs> and he he's just so menacing and you, you totally get how these four men would fall under his control, but you're also quite satisfied when he, you know, gets his comeuppance in the end and um, which I think is what you kind of want from a good villain, like somebody who's just compelling, but ultimately, like, you want to be vanquished, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I like this movie, just for what it's going for, but I, I do agree that it, it is uh, just an odd beast in general. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, will we talk about Free Fire, then? Can you bring the girls in? Okay, so, Vern's boys are going to drive the car in. They're going to put the crates of guns... Get your fucking hands off me. Grandpa, you got to relax. They're going to put the guns right here. When they are done, they're going to leave. Then Tweedledee and Tweedledum can load them up into your little clown car. And you're the first one I'm going to take down if this goes south, big lad. It's probably a good idea, Grandpa. I reckon. Oops. Oh, sorry, you just... You're molting. 
Michael Smiley plays Frank, who's an IRA officer planning to buy guns from South African arms dealer Vernon, who's played by Charlotte Copley, a friend of the pod, uh, in a warehouse in America. After an argument between the two sides turns ugly, Frank must escape with the guns, his comrades, including um, Killian Murphy's Chris and Sam Riley's, I think it's Stevo, and his life. So uh, there's one line I always repeat from this movie um, where Michael Smiley is like, uh, they're just, just before everything kicks off, where he turns to Steve and goes, sympathy is in the dictionary between shit and syphilis. Now get the fuck over there. <laughs> I think this is, uh, this, his character here is a little similar to, um, not similar uh, in the sense, I think he's, it's a big ensemble cast. So like, as I said, there's Killian Murphy, there's Charlton Copley, Michael Smiley, and a whole host of other people. So I think sometimes he can get a bit lost in the shuffle, um, especially when you, you've got like a personality like um, Charlotte Copley in there who just owns the screen whenever he's on it. But I think what is important about this movie in compar- comparison to like other action thrillers is, number one, it feels like all these characters have like lives to get back to once this deal is done. Like, they all feel like they have families or people they care about waiting for them. And two, how dirty this movie is. Like... When an action thriller has a lot of people in it, it's hard to care about all of them. But you really do care about what happens to these people. Like, you care, and um, Frank is, like, monkey-crawling his way across the warehouse floor and sticks himself on a used needle. And it hurt. It hurts to see it almost as much as it hurts him, I, I, I assume. And, like, seeing Vern die horribly is a lot more, in, is more enjoyable because we care so much about hating him because he's such a dickhead. And... Um, it's, a, it's another kick-in-the-nuts kind of film, much like Kill List, but in a much more fun and frenetic way. And it's also one of those action thrillers, kind of like, kind of like Reservoir Dogs, I guess, where once, the, once like, things are really in motion, um, you're kind of, you've got that uneasy feeling that nothing is going to go right for anyone. Like it's got, like, lots of people love to say that Mr. Pink gets away at the end of Reservoir Dogs, but uh, as an eternal pessimist, I don't agree. Yeah. It's also a bit like what we talked about in the Badge Day episode, um, Stand Off at Sparrow Creek. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Yeah, as we talked about in the Chateau episode, I, I love Free Fire. I definitely, Wheatley's most mainstream movie. Kind of a movie I think anyone could enjoy. And I, I, I think Smiley, because it's not a very emotional movie, but I do think Smiley has that, that little detail of him being a recovering alcoholic. Mm, yeah, um, yeah. I think he, his character has a bit more pathos than anyone else in the movie, even though it's a, just a very small detail. Because he's so mean to um, Sam Riley's Steve-O, who's yeah. such a, a screw-up. And he's yeah. like so cruel, like with that line that you said, like he says that to Steve-O. So that when you when you learn that detail about him and he sort of like regretfully is like, yeah, I'm, I'm in recovery. Yeah. Like it sticks out. Like yeah. it, and it, it makes you care for him in this crazy scenario, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so I'm going to talk about Black Sea, which uh, stars Jude Law doing a, for my ears, pretty good Scottish accent. Um, actual Scots may disagree. But he plays this uh, veteran underwater salvager who, when he loses his job, with the help of some shady backers, represented by um, Scoot McNary, assembles a team of English and Russian men and goes on a rogue mission to find a Nazi U-boat filled with gold that was sunk in the Black Sea. So Nazis again. Full full circle. No escape suits. What's that mean? No escape suits means no escape. Are those not escape suits there? Diving suits. But I mean, if we got into trouble, we could use those as escape suits. Oh yeah, sure, you could uh, go out for 80 meters and uh, come back on a short hose. Yeah, see, that's the thing about being on the sub. Outside, it's just dark, cold, death. It's essentially Treasure of the Sierra Madre 
on a submarine because uh, basically law tells everyone they will get an equal cut of the gold but then distrust between the english and the russians starts to fester and some people feel more deserving of more of the booty than others and it, it isn't long before people start you know killing each other and then on top of that there's a bit of a friedkin sorcerer thrown in there because it's this old rickety sub that's very delicate and they have to sail into enemy waters there's just you know so much that can go wrong and there's yeah. kind of pressure on the inside and on the outside and it's not a movie that reinvents the wheel, but I, I do think it's pretty underrated. It only got a smallish limited release in cinemas, and I have no idea why. Um, it got good reviews and is very watchable. Even having seen it before in theaters, watching it on DVD at home, I found it extremely tense in parts and claustrophobic and well acted. It's got you know a great cast of character actors who add this authenticity to the movie that it might not have had if it was like the A-listers. And there's like Scoot McNary, as I mentioned, but then also our dude Ben Mendelsohn. And Michael Smiley, who plays a character who served under Jude Law's so boss in the Navy. And Smiley excels at playing this character who is, you know, tough, grizzled, and he's sort of a no-nonsense man, but is actually quite decent as well and has a, you know, a bit of a sense of humour. Again, he gets to go from being sort of gruff and a bit scary to, to being kind. Like, the movie came out in 2014 and is a real recession movie in that it's about the man screwing over the little guy. You know, a lot of the people on the sub are men who were fired from the jobs. And there were jobs that, like, they devoted their lives to at the expense of their personal relationships. Because if you spend a significant portion of your life in a metal tube under the sea, you're going to miss a lot. <laughs> you know, <Yeah. laughs> big moments. And a lot of that anger that the men have that that betrayal that they have for kind of devoting their lives to this you know career and then just having it snapped snatched away from them is directed at McNary's character who's this suit who winds up on the sub with all these tough men just to make sure everything goes okay and there's this great bit where he turns to Smiley's character and is like so so do you do you work on subs now and he's trying to just you know talk to him and Smiley responds no I do a paper round and McNary thinks he's joking and starts chuckling and Smiley so seriously just like turns to him and is like, you laughing at me, boy? And <laughs> he then kind of lays out for the crew how everyone has been screwed over in the past by people like McNary. And, you know, it's a, it's a good little scene that kind of lays out sort of the sort of timely themes of the movie. Yeah. But then um, I think the best scene he has comes a bit later. There's, there's this teenager on board the sub two who uh, was homeless and law took pity on and invited him on to do kind of menial tasks and he's talking to smiley in their bunk beds and it's he's like like it's mad down here i don't know how you stand it and he's like give it a couple of days and you'd be wondering how they stand it out there and he basically says that there's an order to life in the subs that makes sense and he, he has this great monologue where he's talking about how like they're all penguins and he's like put a penguin in water and what have you got something that's graceful and slick and elegant and strong put it in dry land what have you got just a wee prick just a waddling prick and <laughs> <laughs> It's it's sort of a funny off kilter moment that Smiley kills, but it also has deeper resonance, kind of both for his character and for all the workers on the sub, because all the characters seem to try and fail to acclimatize to life on the surface. You know, Jude Law's character is estranged from his wife. Mendelssohn's character is in and out of jail. Smiley seems to be the only character who fully accepts that the submarine is where he belongs. Like, there's just something about the mm. regimented nature, or the routine, or the structure of sub life that just works for him. To the extent that I don't think he's even there for the money. Like, he he doesn't even seem to be excited by it. Like, the kid asks him, what will you do with it? And he's like, I just might pay off some debts, give some to the wife and kids. Like, he, he doesn't <laughs> even seem too enthused by it. Like, he's just there to be on the sub. And he, I think even if they found the Nazi gold and he became loaded, he probably would continue just doing what he clearly loves and, you know, going on submissions. And, you know, while a lot of that depth 
to that character is probably in the script and might not register with audiences as much if you didn't have an actor of Smiley's presence who has such a distinct voice and a face that has some history mm. and who has a, such a distinct vibe you know that juxtaposition between being intimidating to showing brief glimpses of vulnerability so yeah it's, it's, Black Sea is a very good movie people should check it out but uh, I wanted to mention that when Black Sea was being promoted Mendelssohn and Smiley were interviewed together a lot and uh, two people who are very charismatic but often play baddies and there's this great interview where Smiley does this very overly descriptive monologue about why he could never work on a sub because of the smell and Mendelssohn is just trying so hard not to laugh in the interview and then the interviewer says something about them both being able to go from being very affable to maniacal and Smiley chuckles for like a second and then immediately stops and is like what do you mean by that? And <laughs> Mendelssohn in his Aussie accent is like, yeah, you either have it or you don't. You know, like he's, and uh, you can just tell how much they enjoy being around each other. And it's great. I'll, I'll throw yeah. it on our socials under this, uh, the, the pod when it goes up. Do you want to hit the hollow? You're making people nervous. He's in the forest again, is he? He's trespassing. It's dangerous for him. They believe that the forest that you're trampling on belongs to the hollow. Hollow. Fairies, banshees, baby stealers. So you a believer? Mr. Hedgins, this is in London. Things here go bumping at night. It's just baby dreams. So he plays in Garda Davy, a local Garda who informs Adam. Uh, played by Joseph Mall and Claire Hitchens, who's played by Bojana or Bojana, it might be a silent J, uh, Novakovic, about the Hallow, creatures from Irish folklore that inhabit the forest around their house. So Adam is there to survey the forest for a logging company, and uh, the locals are none too happy about his presence. And the locals include monstrous creatures known as the Hallow, uh, sort of like similar to, uh, I guess, f- uh, fairies, but like evil fair- fairies. And so one, they're like their neighbor, uh, who's played by Michael McElhatton, uh, who people will know as Roose Bolton from um, Game of Thrones. He's the least happy of all the locals about their presence there. He uh, he's constantly like um, pulling up to the pulling up to the house and telling them that they're trespassing, even though it's, it's their land, I guess. Um, but what he means is that they're trespassing on you know ancient sacred land to uh, the Hallow. Bruce Bolt, if Bruce Bolton showed up at my door and warned me of dangerous creatures, it would convince me instantly to move out. And the fact that that warning late, is later on echoed by a Garda, uh, would doubled, I would double down on my resolve to head for the hills. Um, uh, Garda Davy is from Belfast, and he, he, he has a line where um, they're like, um, do you believe in all this stuff? And he's kind of like, not really. Uh, and then he turns, uh, turns his head to them, smiles, and, looks and, and says, I'm from Belfast different sort of boogeyman up there yeah. uh, which is very funny considering he's saying it to British people um, it, yeah, it should be noticed that Adam and Claire are English which adds another layer to the movie that I think um, nationalists will find interesting and enjoyable as the movie goes on um, I like this movie um, I think it's a I think I would have preferred it if uh, it was more about the Irish people in it and I think I would have liked to have seen more of um, the likes of Michael McElhatton and um, Michael Smiley uh, throughout but uh, it's, I think it is a, it's like a, a solid horror movie with like 20 minutes of good setup with like character actors like McElhatton and Smiley and then it's just 70 minutes of just relentless horror because um, uh, he the the hollow like crashes um, Adam's car in the woods on the way on his way home with, with his son and it just 
goes from there and it doesn't stop until the until the, the credits roll um and yeah i think it is worth those those first 20 minutes aren't, aren't boring like michael michael finally has his like one scene wonder and that and that's very good and uh, michael hatton is such a threatening presence even if he's like in jeans instead of like bundled up in furs with a sword at his hip um and also there's a bit where uh, someone wields a flaming scythe so um yeah, it was a pretty solid um, mid mid twenty uh, tens horror movie. Yeah, isn't it like the closest Alan has come to making like a Guillermo del Toro movie? Pretty much, yeah. Yeah, yeah. like it I mean, feels very Pan's Labyrinthy. All the yeah. uh, the the fairies and like the the woods and all that stuff. I I really like that movie. Yeah, me too. Yeah, and I'm going to talk about a, a movie I love now, which is uh, Come to Daddy. Um, which is uh, a real treat. <laughs> Elijah Wood plays this uh, privileged hipster who has had addiction issues in the past and out of the blue he receives a letter from his estranged father he hasn't seen since he was five inviting him to this remote house by the sea and Wood's character then arrives at the home and things get weird and I don't want to spoil anymore because it's a movie that benefits from knowing as little about it as possible before watching it's quite twisty and part of the fun is how it constantly goes in directions you don't expect if I was to sum it up on one level it's this dark comedy thriller with horror undertones and over-the-top violence. But also, while what ultimately is in the movie is oftentimes very kind of gonzo and grotesque, there is always some inkling of humanity under it. The movie never loses sight of Wood's character's confusion and pain over why his father left when he was five and how it, like, messed him up. And I don't know how, but the movie just manages to definitely balance this melancholy with the movie's kind of wackier antics, which is are mostly courtesy of Smiley's character Jethro and an old friend of Wood's dad, who is the, the villain of the piece. And yeah, he's incredible in this, playing another full-on bad guy. But unlike how coiled and quiet he is in a field in England, here he just gets to be just really big and mad. <laughs> he's introduced <laughs> like nearly two-thirds of the way into the movie and is part of the movie's kind of major rug pull to the audience. And what strikes you at first is he looks amazingly awful, the character's this like slimy looking long hair, fake sharp teeth, uh, mutton chops. He's introduced torturing someone by stabbing them with a pen smeared in his own excrement so that Jesus. the wound so that the wound will get oh. infected. But he keeps calling it excrement. <laughs> and he's he's always trying to use big words and brag about reading to try and make him sound smart. Uh, he's got this like chip on his shoulder, but he, every time he always fails. And it's it's some feat to be introduced as the big bad, like two thirds of the way into the movie, and you know he doesn't even have a lot of screen time. But you know while a lot of the performances are great in the film, like Elijah Wood and Martin Donovan and Stephen McCaddy, again I think Smiley kind of walks away with the movie because he's just really in tune with the strange vibe the movie is going for, which is this mix of very dry, awkward humor, you know, <laughs> car- cartoonish violence, and sincerity. And you know whether he's bragging about like reading articles on body language. Or he's holding a flaming crossbow on a balcony and screaming like, This is an important announcement! You and the rest of your family are officially fucked! It's official! <laughs> or he's giving out to a prostitute for not wearing deodorant. Or having the most <laughs> bananas heart-to-heart with Wood's character. Um, which it's the craziest thing you'll ever, like heart-to-heart you'll ever see in a movie explaining how his father met his mother. He's just electric to see, and you can tell he's just having a ball, probably because the movie's going to flex both his kind of comedic muscles, you mentioned he's a stand-up comedian, and also allowing him to transform into this kind of, just kind of scrungy, lunatic piece of work. And it, it's great yeah. to see, you know. Uh, hugely recommend. 
yeah, just before we wrap up, we should say to, you know, Smiley is an actor who seems to be always, you know, showing up and stuff, even on TV. Just recently, he was in the BBC series Bloodlands with James Nesbitt, which I really liked, and some of the people who made Line of Duty were involved in that. He was in Dead Still, that uh, Irish Victorian set comedy thriller that got really good reviews. Haven't seen it yet, but I, but I intend to watch it. And then I think just next week after this episode comes out, he will be in Censor with Neve Algar, and then before appearing in Gunpowder Milkshake, which I think comes out here later in the year. Yeah, I can't and, wait for uh, Censor. It's going to be a good one. Yeah, and Gunpowder Milkshake stars uh, Michelle Yeoh as well. So oh, yeah. another, another face person. Anything else you wanted to hit or talk about? No, I've got, got, got them covered. Got them covered. Rate and review and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from. Email know.facepod at gmail.com if you want to reach out to the show. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thanks to Shani Fernandez for editing and running our socials. If you love the show, please consider donating five euro a month to us through Headstuff Plus, where you can find special exclusive bonus episodes. Andrew, where can people find more of your work? You can find me at the Headstuff Gaming section, where we talk about what we play, why we play, and how we play it. You can find me at the Headstuff uh, film section, and you can also check me out uh, some of my you know, more journalism stuff at joe.ie. See you later soon, folks. Bye-bye. This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network, a hub for the creative and the curious. Shows are produced in association with Headstuff and the Podcast Studios Dublin. Find out more or become a member at headstuffpodcasts.com.